Today I want to do a brief recap of where we were last week and then finish out our discussion on um, this particular attribute of God, the fact that he is eternal. Look at Psalm 90. We looked at these verses last week. I want to read just a couple more verses, verses 1 through 4. Highlights the eternity of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Our refuge in every generation. Many generations, one God. Many generations throughout time finding refuge in one God. Verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Before the creation of the universe, before the creation of the heavens and the earth, before the creation of time itself, God. From everlasting in the far past to everlasting in the far future, you are God. Verse 3, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, touching on the brevity of human life. Verse 4, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes, like a few hours of the night. So just recapping a little bit about the eternity of God, and I'm just basically reading what's in your outline at the moment. God has no beginning. The fact that God is eternal means that God has no beginning. There never, there never was a time when he wasn't. And looking to the future, God will have no end. God will have no end. He had no birth date. He, has no, he will have no funeral. Further, God created time and is outside of time. God is not within time. He is outside of time. Yet that being the fact, he understands time because he created it. And he can act within it as he often does, as he always does. God has made us, and finally, God has made us everlasting. We talked about this. God has made us everlasting. We are everlasting by nature, but God in his power and his design has made us everlasting. And the eternity that, that awaits each one of us will either be a miserable eternity for eternity, or it'll be a happy one, a joyful one for eternity. That's the eternity of God. God is eternal. He is beyond our comprehension in terms of this aspect of being eternal. He doesn't operate in time. He operates outside of time. Time is within him. We are time-bound creatures. Understanding how God operates is a little difficult for us. So anyway, the fact that God is eternal, what does that mean for us? That's what we were starting to do last week. We were starting to apply it. What does it mean that God is eternal? How, How should that affect us? Number one, choose your eternity. Choose your eternity. And we talked about this at length last week. This life will end. And where you go, whether to eternal joy and satisfaction or to eternal misery and torment, is determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you believe, do you believe on Jesus Christ or do you not believe on Jesus Christ? That is the most important question that every human being that you have to deal with in your life. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or do you not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And the Bible is very clear that there is, I know it's not fashionable to talk about hell in our day and age, but the Bible is very clear that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and both are eternal. And entrance into one or another is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, we talked about this at length last week. And if you're interested in what we talked about and you weren't here, the the sound guys can make CDs for you. We also have a website and the sermons are posted there. Well, let's go on to application number two. Understand that God's timing is far different than yours. Understand that God's timing is far different than yours. He's the eternal God. 
He's got a lot of time. Abraham and Sarah, you may recall from the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah had no children. When Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah herself was 65 at the time, God told them, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And you know what? He did as he promised 25 years later. When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, he gave them a son. 25 years seems like a long time to me. That's like one-third of my life. Okay, it's one-half of my life. 25 years seems like a long time to me, but, but, but it's nothing to God. He's eternal. It's nothing to God. Or consider Moses. Moses was used of God in incredible ways, but not until the age of 80. God uses him to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, to mediate his law, including the Ten Commandments. He uses him to lead his people to the land of Canaan, but after he had turned 80. So we read in the book of Exodus, Moses reaches the age of 40, and God has done nothing visible with Moses. Now, I'm not saying that he wasn't working in Moses' life all that time. He was, but the things that we know Moses for, nothing significant had happened by the time Moses turned 40. And then Moses... Uh, is expelled or exiled into the desert for another 40 years. God does nothing significant that we know of. Then when he turns 80, God calls him to calls him from the burning bush and commissions him to deliver his people to us. It sure seems like God took his own sweet time, but not to God. He's eternal. His timing is different than yours. Then there's the matter of the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, first, think about the first coming of Jesus when he was born to Mary. Isaiah clearly prophesied his coming, and he prophesied that 700 years before Christ arrived on the scene. 700 years. God takes his time, doesn't he? But then he's got a lot of time to take. And even others back before Isaiah had prophesied the coming of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Messiah. And now think about his second coming. All the New Testament writers say, and Jesus himself says, that he is coming back to earth again. For instance, Acts chapter 1. After he had said this, after Jesus had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. Okay, So this is the ascension. The apostles are with Jesus, and he's taken up out of sight into heaven. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. This is a central tenet of what we as Christians believe because it's all over the New Testament that Jesus Christ is coming. Just as he ascended into heaven, he's coming back one day. That is the hope of the Christian. That is the hope of our Christian faith. Now, it's been 2,000 years since this took place. Is that a long time? To us it is. But to the eternal God, not so much. Some people make fun of the idea that Jesus is coming back, especially because it's been so long, right? Second Peter talks about people like that. The Apostle Peter writes, First be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Where is the, where's the promise of his coming? When is Christ coming back? Is he really coming back? It's been 2,000 years. Don't you think that maybe 
Peter says, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is what? Like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. So how long has it been since Christ came? Two days. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Doing the eternal math there. Two days. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the Lord is not slow. The Lord, maybe by our standards, but he is not slow. He is not delaying. He hasn't forgotten about his promise. He has his own purposes for why he does things in his time the way he does. And then verse 10 goes on. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. So there is coming a day. (laughs) Scoffers may scoff and they may disbelieve. But just because it's been 2000 years or two days doesn't mean that Christ isn't coming back. He will come back and like a thief in a light in in the night. In other words, it'll be a surprise. It'll be sudden. Understand that God's timing is far different than yours. You may feel like God is taking forever to do something in your life, but he's not slow. God's timing is perfect. And he understands, by the way, he understands our microwave mentality. He understands our fast way of thinking. He's not insensitive to that. He just knows what's best for us in terms of his timing. And often he counsels us to wait. Wait. The command to wait on the Lord, the instruction to wait on the Lord is found throughout the Bible. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Why do you say, people of God, that God doesn't seem to be paying attention, that God doesn't seem to be involved in my life at all, that my way is hidden because I don't see his activity at all? I don't see his involvement in my life. Why do you say that? that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Don't you know, haven't you heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He's not forgotten about you. He's not too tired. He's not taking a nap in order to work in your life. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We may not understand his timing, but we can trust him. For he's everlasting. He's the almighty God. He's the creator. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We are counseled to wait on the Lord. A verse I memorized a few years ago and has been a great uh, help to me is Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, where twice the Lord says, wait, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Realize that God's timing is different than yours. You may wish that God were working more quickly in your life or more hastily in your life or in the lives of others. But God's timing is perfect. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. We should pray. And sometimes we, it is okay to pray, Lord, could you do this more quickly? Trusting that the Lord will do it in the time that is uh, best. But there are places in the Psalms where David prays, hurry up. (laughs) 
But we always recognize when we bring those requests to a heavenly father that we are asking for his perfect will to be done. And if hurry up isn't the best thing for us, then hurry up is not what he will do. A third application is this, study and think about God's eternity. Dwell on God's eternity. Meditate upon God's eternity. Think about this often. And there are many benefits to doing this. And um, so let me just touch on a few of them. Um, A, and we we talked about this one last week, but I'll just uh, rehearse it here. Meditating on the eternity of God will lead you to adoration and praise. Meditating on the eternity of God will lead you to adoration and praise. We mentioned the heavenly throne room scene in Revelation, pictured in Revelation 4 where the four living creatures are around the throne, gathered around the throne of God, and they are constantly worshiping God day and night. Revelation 4, 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within each day and night. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why are these creatures, why are these awesome four living creatures worshiping God day and night? There's two reasons that are spelled out here in the scripture. One has to do with the holiness of God. The fact that God is holy, that he is holy other than any other creature. He's not a creature, he's the creator. And the other reason that they praise him continually is for his eternity. The God who is and who was, uh, who was and is and is to come. Meditating on the eternity of God will lead you to worship. It'll lead you to praise. And we talked again, again, we talked about that, um, we talked about that last week. Some of these other benefits we haven't talked about yet, so. Letter B, meditating on the eternity of God will weaken your pride. It will weaken your pride, or you could say it will, it will humble you. And if you say to yourself, weaken my pride, is that a good thing? Isn't it good to be proud? Well, I'd encourage you to see, read the scriptures because they talk about pride not being a good thing. <laughs> pride is that, uh, pride is what led the devil to be the devil. Okay? Um, the Bible talks about the fact that we should be humble before the Lord. Meditating on the eternity of God will weaken your pride. Pride is that, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about pride being that uh, one sin that will die about 15 minutes after you do. <laughs> it's that one sin that is, is hard to kill in the life of any person. It manifests itself in so many ways. Meditating on the eternity of God will weaken your pride. For one thing, it's impossible to comprehend the eternity of God. We can, we can think about it, you know, we can understand that God is eternal, but to wrap our minds around that concept of that ever-living God is difficult to do. But also, dwelling on God's eternity helps us to remember how small we are. How small we are. We have a tendency to think more of ourselves than we should, and we have a tendency to think less of God than we should. Meditating on his various attributes, including his eternity, can help us to see how insignificant we are in comparison to God. And that will help us to appreciate God's great love for us and how great his grace is. What are we that the eternal God should love us the way that he does? The story is told of a very wealthy man in ancient Attica boasting about how big his property and his estate uh, were. And his friend secured a map. His friend secured a map of the earth and asked him to point out Attica on, on this map of the world. 
And the rich man had some difficulty finding the area of Attica on the map, but he was able to do so. And then his friend asked him to point out where his estate was on, in Attica on that map. And he was, and he was unable to do so. And, uh, the, the, the point was, the point was made, um, that, uh, no matter how large his estate was, compared to the size of the world, his estate was insignificant. It was nothing. And, and your life in comparison to God's eternity is insignificant. It's insignificant. The only reason now that you are everlasting is that God has granted you everlasting life. God is eternal by nature. We are everlasting by grant from God. So meditating upon the eternity of God helps you to see how, how small you are in comparison to God. And then let us see, meditating on the eternity of God will help you to trust God and keep you from second-guessing him. It will help you to trust God and, to seek, and keep you from second-guessing him. Don't you love it when your six-year-old or your seven-year-old explains to you how the world works, how life works? I remember my kids when they were little. Um, I don't remember any specific occasion what they said, but I remember me saying often, you know, I've been around a while, <laughs> a lot longer than you have, and I think I understand how the situation works a little bit better than you do. Maybe your kids haven't challenged you in that way. I don't know. It was always frustrating when they actually did know more than what I did, but, you know, that's, that's another story. <laughs> Uh, but now apply that, apply that to your relationship with God. Who's been around longer? Is it you or is it God? God's been around uh, a few years longer than you have, I think it's safe to say. Do you suppose he knows what he's doing? Do you suppose he, understand how life, he understands how life works? Do you suppose he knows what's going on in your life? Do you suppose he knows what's going on in the lives of the, in the, lives of the people you care about? Young kids can't understand the actions of wise adults. Shall we who have lived only a few decades presume to understand and judge the motions of eternity by our limited intellects? Stephen Charnock writes, The counsels of a boundless being are not to be scanned by the brain of a silly worm. That's the way, that's the way they wrote a few centuries ago. Um, the counsels of a boundless being are not to be scanned by the brain of a silly worm that has breathed but a few minutes in the world. If you feel yourself doubting God, perhaps it would be good to reread what God said to Job. You may recall the story of Job, how Job suffered a great deal. He didn't know why he was suffering, but for several chapters he has a lot to say. And he wishes that he could confront God, and he wishes that he could talk directly to God, that God would appear and that he could lay out his case before him. And finally, um, God appears, and uh, God's appearance starts this way. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, where was Job when God established the earth? Well, he wasn't around. God is thinking back to that day when they had the groundbreaking for the heavens and the earth, and he doesn't remember seeing Job there. In fact, he doesn't remember seeing anyone else there except himself. And the point was taken 
um, Job responds, God goes on uh, for a few chapters with several questions for Job that Job has no way of possibly answering. And then Job responds uh, with something like, basically, I know nothing, <laughs> Job says. He responds with, I know nothing. I expounded on things that I didn't understand. Talkative Job suddenly didn't have so much to say when he was confronted with the enormity of who God is in terms of his eternity. Remembering God's eternity should help you to trust God instead of second-guessing him. And then letter D, meditating on the eternity of God will help fix your priorities. It will help fix your priorities. God's eternal. He's made you everlasting now. This life is temporary. The next life that you are to live, the afterlife, is eternal. What's more important? When you think on these things, it's obvious what's more important. So focus and energy directed to the eternal life for preparing for eternity is far more important than focus on what is not. Colossians 3.2 says to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And thinking about eternity helps you to do that. Recognizing that you can't take it with you helps you to hold this life and the things of this life a little bit more loosely. What is eternal that you have right now? What is everlasting that you have right now? Well, for one thing, your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. So maybe you should invest a lot of time and resource into that. For another thing, your soul. And maybe you should care for that. Maybe you should do the things God tells you you should do with regards to your heart and soul to make sure that your soul inherits eternal life instead of eternal suffering. Um, in John chapter 6, the crowds asked Jesus, what can we do to perform the works of God? And they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. This is the work of God. Believe in the one he has sent. Faith. So nurture your faith. Are you investing time in nurturing your faith? Many give, many people give lots of time uh, to care to take care of their lawn. I take care of my lawn. Maybe not as well as some of you, but I take care of my lawn. Many people give lots of time to take care of their cars, to take care of their property, but they don't take any time to take care of their soul. They take time to take care of their body, but not to care for their soul, to care for the momentary interests of this life, but not the eternal interests of their soul. Dwelling on God's eternity helps to put that stuff into perspective. I grew up with my parents. Uh, my parents live over by Maystone and Sand, over by where Elmhurst High School used to stand, and now it's just a pile of rubble. Um, but Maystone and Sand is there, the, the quarry, and uh, that's the, uh, that's a bad picture. But that's, uh, that's the observation tower that stands there above the quarry. And uh, when we were little, my, my dad and my brother and my and I would ride out to the quarry to the observation tower, and we'd climb the steps, and we'd look down into the quarry. Another blurry picture. Um, but that's, that's Maystone and Sand Quarry. And as we would stand there, we would look down, and we would see, uh, we would see uh, sometimes we could see trucks down there. Okay, And I assume these were huge trucks, but from our perspective, they looked like uh, Hot Wheel cars or Matchbox cars. They looked really, really tiny um, because of the perspective that we had. When you fix your eyes on our eternal God and on the eternal life that he has granted to you, many of the really, really important things of this life don't seem as important anymore. They seem small. 
Not much here is permanent. So why get so hot and bothered about it? Take sports, for example. If uh, 19 and 20-year-olds whom you have never met are ruining your day because of what they do with a ball on TV, that's a sign that you might have a problem with being too focused on temporary things. You need to spend some time meditating on and interacting with the eternal God. And I'll have the wonderful effect of making your priorities what they should be. And that will bring you genuine satisfaction. Max Lucado tells a story that I've, I've shared before. I don't know if I've shared it here or not, but I love this story. He talks about flying on a plane. And he says he, he walked down the aisle. He's, I'll just read it. I, I walked down the aisle, found my seat, and sat down next to a strange sight. The man seated next to me was in a robe and slippers. He was dressed for the living room, not for a journey. His seat was odd, too. Whereas my seat was the cloth type you normally see, his was fine leather. Imported, he said, when he noticed I was looking, bought it in Argentina and put it in myself. Before I could speak, he pointed to some inlaid stones in the armrest, the rubies I purchased in Africa. They cost me a fortune. That was only the beginning. His fold-down table was of mahogany, there was a portable TV installed next to the window. A tiny ceiling fan and globe light hung above us. I had never seen anything like it. My question was the obvious one. Why did you spend so much time and expense on an airline seat? I live here, he explained. I make my home on the plane. You never get off? Never. How could I deboard and lead, leave such comfort? Max Lucado writes, incredible, the man made a home out of a mode of transportation. He made a residence out of a journey. Hard to believe? You think I'm stretching the truth? Well, maybe I haven't seen such foolishness in a plane, but I have in life, and so have you. You've seen people treat this world like it was a permanent home. It's not. You've seen people pour time and energy into life like it will last forever. It won't. You've seen people so proud of what they have done that they hope they will never have to leave. They will. We all will, says Lucado. What about you? Are you pouring your time and energy into this life like it's going to last forever? Is most of your effort going to storing up treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? Think, um, think often on God and his character. Think about the fact that God is eternity. Think about the eternity he's given to you. Think about the fact that this life is short and the next life is eternal. And it will make your priorities what they should be. Letter E, meditating on the eternity of God will comfort you in your difficulties. Meditating on the eternity of God will comfort you in your difficulties. That God is eternal and that he has made you to be eternal also puts your trials into perspective. If you're a believer, you can say to yourself, this isn't going to last forever. God has provided for me an eternal life in heaven. And because I'm in Christ Jesus, that provision of eternal life is now mine. I have an eternal inheritance waiting for me that is far better than anything I have on this earth. These trials I'm going through now will not last forever. Even if they last 10, 20, or 30 years, I'm going to live forever in the new heavens and new earth where there will be eternal joy and eternal happiness and eternal satisfaction. No wonder Paul said that all our sufferings are light and momentary troubles. 
No wonder he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. No wonder David wrote, weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Meditating on the eternity of God will comfort you in your difficulties. And then finally, meditating on the eternity of God will prompt you to do all you can to persevere. Meditating on the eternity of God will prompt you to do all you can to persevere. Hearts for God, like fire, can grow cold if they're not fed. Hearts for God, like fire, can grow cold if they're not fed. I've seen people, and I'm sure you have too, who have chucked their faith, who have abandoned their faith, who have abandoned their their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think to myself, what have you done? Have you no have you no have you forgotten how itty bitty tiny this life is compared to what awaits have you forgotten that there is the possibility of eternal suffering if you're not with Jesus you know it it boggles it boggles the mind what they've done is far worse than what Esau did remember what Esau did he was so famished and he hungry, he came and Jake, his brother Jacob was making a pot of uh, stew. And he said, give me that stew. And his brother said, give me your birthright and I'll give you the stew. So Esau made that trade. And it's uh, one of the dumbest trades recorded in scripture, how he traded his birthright for a pot of stew. And yet his decision to do that pales in comparison to the people who have abandoned their faith. We are called to persevere in the Lord Jesus, to continue to feed our faith, to continue to grow in him. Meditating on the eternity of God will prompt you to do all you can to persevere in your faith. The eternity of God. God is eternal. It's, it's the, we talked about the fact that it's the foundation. It's one of the foundations of our Christian hope. If God were not eternal... Every other promise that is ours, every other hope that is ours in Christ Jesus would be significantly diminished. So think often on the eternity of God. Remember that God's timing is not, uh, is far different than your sense of timing. And, uh, especially choose which eternity you will live in. Will it be an eternity of, um, suffering and misery or an eternity of joy and happiness through faith in Christ Jesus? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.